All right, everyone, we're going to get started. I'm going to play the theme from Toxic Podcast. Uh, before I play this theme, though, I just want to... Uh, everyone, just keep your ears peeled. Uh, I'm not sure if you'll be able to hear it through the phone, to computer, to your ears. You know, the, the, the transfer rate, the... <laughs> quality degenerates but at the very very beginning of, of what i'm about to play there's like a very horny bass just keep your ears peeled for the horny bass not sure if you'll be able to hear it or not but it's like the it's like the first thing that happens in the song so here we go okay Ooh, did you hear it that bass needs to chill well in any case i'm alejandro Colini. welcome to toxic podcast this is my podcast that i host alone where I consume and process any form of content that, regardless of its quality, is genuinely emotionally exhausting or taxing to consume. It's a, it's a, who, who knows? Who knows about the concept of this podcast? I do know that I've got to begin, as always, with an apology, but today I've had an epiphany. Um, and unfortunately, for lovers of the podcast, I had one of those epiphanies where you're like, everything I've done sucks, which I think can be frustrating for people who, like, maybe have enjoyed the podcast up to this point, like for me to say all of my podcasts up to this point have been bad, everything I've ever said is stupid, like it's objectively correct, but I know it can be hard to hear. Things have been going great. The holidays were extremely fun and uh, I survived them uh, successfully with with, uh, only uh, maximal damage to myself and my relationships. And uh, now I'm here. Here I am in 2020. I've been thinking a lot about uh, death, but not about wanting death, about not wanting death. That's a, I don't, you know, sitting around thinking about, oh my God, it's going to be so, I'm, I, I, my, my death, I need to prepare. I'm so, I'm so not ready to die. I'd prefer not to die at all. <sighs> well, so the Witcher episode was a disaster, and the Hitch episode was bad. The Joker episode was very small-minded. See, I I feel as though I I'm just I'm I'm like I'm the I'm the first picture on the Galaxy Brain <laughs> diagram, and what I need to get down is I need to be the galaxy. I need to be the guy who's like sitting in a lotus position. <laughs> um, and uh, and I think the first step towards doing that is going to be processing. Like I've you know I've you can tell, uh, been doing, I've been doing great. I've been doing how I've been doing. And in the year of our Lord 2020, I have watched all of the television show two and a half men. I just started watching Chuck Lorre shows and I couldn't, you know, I've always wanted to, I've always wanted to watch all the Chuck Lorre shows because I think Chuck Lorre is such a like toxic guy. <laughs> He's the like, I don't know if you've heard that name before or if you only know him as like the creator of Two and a Half Men and the Big Bang Theory, but like this episode is the Chuck Lorre episode. We're going to work our way all the way down to the guy sitting cross-legged, the galaxy cross-legged guy, um, and and 
because because he's not because what a what a what a life and I need to be very careful because I, I can't you know I can't tell you how this guy's life was I can't tell you who he is I can't tell you what he's like I know here is what I know about this guy I know his Wikipedia page and I know what you learn about an artist by consuming a vast vast amount of their oeuvre right like I can tell you the themes tropes and motifs in 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 all of Chuck Lorre's television shows I can tell you his preoccupations I could tell you his fears <clears throat> and um but really what I, I what I am most of all and this is like th this is why I want to drill in on two and a half men and two and a half men is really where I've like, I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know if I'm going to keep going on this because especially like if I'm going to, I'm sure I've said this before, but like, if I'm going to keep doing this podcast, I need to figure out how to like compartmentalize it. And then also watch things that make me happy because it, 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 when, when this just becomes, when this just becomes a sort of, a sort of metaphor for self-harm, <laughs> which I would argue watching 250 episodes of one of the world's worst sitcoms in in 14 days at double speed like that's it's not good you know if i were you guys it wouldn't make me happy to hear that i did that i you know i do this for you bane voice the people but <laughs> but like it's it's not on you guys it's not on you guys that i did that i did this to myself i'm sorry um you know what i'm saying is I'm not sure I'm going to watch The Big Bang Theory after this. I'm not sure I'm going to watch The Kaminsky Method. I'm not sure I'm going to watch Mom. Although I would like to... God, do I want to... You know, I, I, I think that Two and a Half Men really is like the focal point of this guy. I think that Two and a Half Men is the core of Chuck Lorre. You know, arguably primarily because of the existence of Charlie Harper, portrayed by Charlie Sheen, who is... A, a character meant to represent Chuck Lorre. Like, he just... It, it's it's a very strange... It's a strange trajectory. Let me just tell you... Let me just tell you what I know about this guy first. <laughs> um, so Chuck Lorre, he's born in New York. He's His name is Chuck Levine. He's to a Jewish family in New York. He's like 60 now. He's in his, is he in his, is he 67 or is he 57? I think he's 67. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's like in his 40s in the 90s. Yeesh. Oh, to be in your 40s in the 90s. Um, <clears throat> but he's got one of those lives where you're like, you're, you're like, oh my God, is this guy like one of the most brilliant people in the world? Or is he like just a, 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 a sociopath? <laughs> like that's, I, I want to, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I want to be careful or if I just like, don't, I don't want to say too many, I don't want to make assumptions about this guy. But like when you read about this guy's life, you're like, oh no, this man. And then just the co, the comorbidity of like knowing how he writes Charlie Harper, how he writes the Charlie Sheen character and like what a like adorable monster he makes that like, you know, the, the, this guy who has like, who is suffering from like so many uh, addictions and it causes him to be so harmful to the people around him. And is just like, what a bad, what a, what a bad vision of the world. Um, but so Chuck, Chuck Lorre, um, 
Uh, see, the other reason why I really want to talk about him is because it, the other, well, the other thing that I, the other assumption that I can't, I can't talk too much about, I can't know too much about this guy's addiction history. But like, suffice to say, Chuck Lorre is like at some stage of recovery from alcoholism, I believe, um, which I think is something that he's talked about. God, maybe I should have read some interviews. But guys, I watched all of two and a half. Do you have any idea how much? And it's not good. This man is not, like, there's something about him that, like, he's a good writer. Like, he has good, he can create interesting characters and he can have them, like, feel interesting ways about each other. Like, he's good with relationships, which is really important for sitcoms. Like, you can feel, even in the most absurd of circumstances, you can feel things like gluing people together, like, unlikely circumstances, uniting characters, characters find making discoveries. That he's really good at. What he's not good at is writing like empathetic dialogue writing characters who are capable of being kind to each other um being not a misogynistic asshole uh uh being not disgusting uh disgustingly homophobic and transphobic like i mean we're gonna god it's so it's so it's so frustrating too watching two and a half men because and I, I feel like such a god i'm such a little wiener i'm so i'm, I'm so sorry i suck fuck i'm so I, i'm such an idiot i suck so much i just i hate i i hate well i hate myself but i but i've had an epiphany and you know i i just can't believe i can't believe some of the small-minded ways i've allowed myself to speak on what toxicity is and 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 some of the the roads that I've allowed myself to go down and the pursuits, the things that I've wasted your time. See, that, I hate telling you guys that I've wasted your time, especially because we all have a finite amount of time before we're dead in the ground. <laughs> so I, I've been sitting, I've just been sitting in my room being like, man, man, I got to fucking, what am I going to do? I, what am I going to do where I, where I, I want to, when I'm, see, the, here's the thing. When I die, I want to be like, all right, hey, nice one, man. <laughs> I like you because you can't be like, well, I was sad. <laughs> oh, man. I spoke to my, my father was like, I was like, I'm afraid of death. And he was like, he was like, hey, well, you know, you're going to live like another 60 or 70 years. 70 more years, sir. You think I'm going to live to 99 years old? That is, I've talked about this a lot. I've talked about my age, how long I'm going to live. Um, I don't think I'm going to live to 99 years old. It would be nice if I could, I mean, well, I mean, obviously you gotta, it's, you're, you have to have a quality of life there. But, um, but, but, but. God, where was I? Well, I was talking about Chuck Lorre, obviously. Um, so what's I guess what's frustrating about this guy is that he seems to sort of fall. He seems to sort of like whatever he does, he just like he just he just drifts. He, and that's the thing is I'm not saying this guy hasn't worked very hard. It's clear to me that that he works very hard. I, I also like I don't want to diagnose. Yeah, I can't diagnose this guy, but like he's an incredibly, incredibly prolific and productive human being who seems blessed with an unshakable, you know, uh, sometimes evil sort of confidence in himself. Um, yeah, yeah, it, 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 I. I don't want to just tell you guys that Chuck Lorre is a sociopath. Also, hey, Chuck, let's talk, man. Let's have a meeting, me and you. 
Oh, I loved it. See, I'd love to write a show with Chuck Lorre about someone who's, I don't know, what are some, what are some things that Chuck Lorre and I can agree on? Recovery from addiction, uh, messed up relationship with your mom, right? We could, uh, we could write a story about like a guy who like, uh, ah, shit, is that, is that too much like mom? You know what? I need to watch the show mom. God, I bet that show, yes, the, everything I've seen of the show Mom has been like incredible. And some, and that's the thing is sometimes he hits these incredible, let's just, okay. So he, first of all, he's like a musician. In his like 20s, he's like a rock musician. He wrote, what did he write? He wrote like Telephone on in the USA. What, what's it called? Hang on. I should have, I'm sorry. I should have had this guy's Wikipedia pulled up right from the start. God, what a prolific guy this is. And what a, oh, Jesus. Okay, so. French Kissin' in the USA, which Debbie Harry recorded, he wrote that song. He's a guitarist and a song. He, like, toured across the United States with, I guess, various bands. He wrote some songs. He wrote the... He co-wrote the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles song in 1987. And then, in some sometime around the 80s, he starts writing scripts for animated shows. He just, like... You know, again, I'm sure that this guy works incredibly hard. I'm sure that this guy put in in immense amounts of time and commitment to his craft. But it's just this man's... And he would not say this. He would say that he struggled and fought his way through. When I look at this guy's life, it looks like he is just the master of his reality. And he's the master of our reality, too. He has he has molded and shaped reality according to his personal desires and sensibilities in a way that few have. Having this many super successful TV shows all on a major network where you can put ideas into your characters' mouths and then feed them directly into people. You know, I don't... Th- I guess this is where we start having our, like, arguments about, about like, is it is it your... Is it... Uh, <laughs> did the Joker turn everyone into incels? Ah, God. But, but... You really, you know, media really does create things create reality and create the 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 parameters of our thoughts you know what what was it that someone said to me once that i that i really thought was like an interesting it was like one of those stupid like people who like uh, i don't i don't want to talk any shit but like my my friend uh was once like you know the thing about sci-fi that's really interesting is that when people imagine aliens honestly our imagination like we think that we're imagining anything Right. But our uh, our our imagination is actually the limitations of our imagination, which sounds kind of like a tautology. But if you think about it, it's like we can't imagine anything beyond what we can imagine. Right. So like there could be types of aliens who exist in forms that are beyond our comprehension. And they don't, they're not, they don't look like turtles with six legs. The reason that we imagine aliens to look like turtles with six legs, or if we're being super creative, a sentient gas, you know, is because those are things that we are familiar with in our reality. Thus, we can't imagine anything that we can't imagine. So, so this is also how people get themselves into sort of, you know, this is also how people, um, like how our government. I don't, I don't want to get too deep into this, but like this is also like how our government sort of uh, gives gives you the reality, gives you the agreed upon parameters. You know, like um, 
uh, I don't, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna start doing this. What I'm saying is when you are allowed to speak to this many people on a weekly basis and your characters, people invite them into their homes and people love them. And then you betray people by having your, that is not going to be, that's not, that's not going to be fun. Can you guys hear that? Okay, what am I going to do? Very exciting, very exciting. Well, I guess we'll, I guess we'll come back to it. God damn it. All right, well, we're back. Uh, how long has it been? It's been an hour and 20 minutes since you last heard from me. It appears the construction is done. Uh, but I now but now I'm off my game. You everyone knows that I everyone knows that I have a very specific zone that I need to be in it. That my game is incredibly fragile. If I'm if I'm if anything disturbs my game, I, I it, it can be impossible to get things back. Where was I? Let's just talk about the 90s. Let's just get let's just get the 90s out of the way, right? So Chuck Lorre, our majestic, our charismatic, our unstoppable uh, friend. Uh, and perhaps Nemesis is, um, you know, he's a musician, he's a writer of of, of song, of, of uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles song or whatever, and eventually he's writing for TV, he's writing for the, the Heathcliff animated, the adaptation of that cartoon, the comic strip about a cat, um, and then he becomes a writer on Roseanne. Uh, the Wikipedia, God, the thing about, he had to write this, right? There's no chance that he, that he, he doesn't, Chuck Lorre has assistants who go over this and make sure that it looks the way he wants it to look. So, <clears throat> I don't know, that's a bit of an assumption, but, so he was fired from the show over irreconcilable creative differences, but apparently Lorre's, Lorre's time on Roseanne impressed producers, and this led to him creating his first show, uh, Franny's Turn. So, very unpackable uh, statement there. He was fired over irreconcilable creative differences, but he impressed producers. Now, this is one of those, you, I, nowadays, you always got to remember, who is writing this? What are their aims and goals? But in any case, Wikipedia article or not, Laurie does get to start creating TV shows at this point. Even though Franny's turn is canceled after five weeks, Laurie is now a creator of television shows. So he makes Franny's turn, which is about Franny uh, Escobar um, and then... He, I'm so, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Uh, and then he creates Grace Under Fire, which stars comedian Brett Butler. Um, Grace Under Fire is a show about a divorced woman who has escaped an abusive relationship. She's a recovering alcoholic. She has three young children. Uh, yeah, right? One, two, three. Jesus, there's so many kids in this show. Um, but so she's got three young children and she's got like, a, a, a couple who are her best friends. And then she's also got like a divorced guy who's her, she works at a factory. It's a very like culturally interesting show. 
it's not super fun to watch with our uh, modern sensibilities. Uh, the way it's paced, the way it's structured, it's just not, yeah, it's just not the, the it's just not a modern sitcom. It's more of the 80s. Um, but it is a really interesting show and it's a very human show and it's very like, it's, it's, it's conservative in the way that like conservative used to mean like prim and proper and not like a Nazi. Um, although, oh God, I don't even want to talk about politics in these, sh and the, the, the uh, gah. but, um, so Grace Under Fire is like five seasons, I believe. And then, so he's, he's like a five season. He's the wizard of five seasons for the 90s. He creates Grace Under Fire, which lasts five seasons. He creates Sybil, which lasts four seasons. Sybil is about an actress in her 40s um, with two divorces behind her, trying to make it in an industry that is hostile to her. And also she has, you know... Um, 17 to like 22 year old daughters she has like her daughter by one of her husbands is like 16 or 17 her daughter by the other husband is like 22 to 25 um and they are both sort of growing up at different stages one of them is married um and that and Sybil's a great show Sybil is an incredibly it's another one of these incredibly human shows like when I was talking about Chuck Lorre like creating good relationships you know there's you know, Sybil and uh, Christine Baranski's character, uh, who is named, oh God, her name is Christine Baranski. And she plays like a kind of unwell, alcoholic divorcee who is also Sybil's codependent best friend. The two of them, you know, they do quite a bit of hijinks. Both of the ex-husbands are like really interesting. Like, it's just like, and especially, especially as I've had death on my mind so much, like these are shows about like the, the about the sort of like grand tragedy of life and about people sort of clinging to each other despite the crushing arbitrariness of it all. Um, and they're all, they're also like everyone's in their forties and they're just like, fucking and fucking and fucking like grace under fire is not that horny of a show but like sybil is a very horny show um and then there's dharma and greg dharma and greg uh is created in 1997 and it's about a couple who are diametrically opposed but they're just so 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 in love that they they fall for each other on their first meeting and they spend the day together and they elope and they get married and they move in together and then they just try to make it work uh, like, they're not like, that was weird. They're like, no, we're in love forever because of this. And, uh, Dharma is obviously like a free thinker, like a free spirit. She's like, a got, you know, old hippie parents and stuff. And, uh, they drive around in a van and they don't trust the government. And she has been raised with all sorts of wacky new age concepts and, uh, uh, you know, non-Judeo-Christian exposure to religion and, um, <clears throat> She does yoga and she meditates and uh, her friend is a weirdo. And Greg, Greg Montgomery, he's like a rich guy. <clears throat> he's a he's works for the D.A. And he, you know, you know, folds all his socks a very specific way and has, uh, you know, opinions about the market and grew up in a, you know, he went to like private schools and his parents uh, encouraged him never to express himself in any way, shape or form. And the two of them, when they get together, they just, you know, the, the, the glue that holds their relationship together is their unstoppable fucking. They can't stop fu for the first couple, for the first season, they're just like, <clears throat> 
What's incredible about Dharma and Greg is that like most shows are about like a couple and they're struggling to get along. But the first season of Dharma and Greg is about this couple who everywhere they go, they behave like insane people and they fuck like rabbits or whatever. And they're just both super happy and everyone gets like drawn along with them. They're just like, oh my God, when you guys showed up, I thought you were freaks, but now we're all having a wonderful time. And just, you know, Dharma is just like a magnetic personality. People in inherently like cling to her and like the, you know, they, they open up to her and, and Greg is an interesting, it's interesting the journey that he's on, but that show immediately falls apart because it's, it decides that just having a fuck relationship isn't enough. It like, it, you know, I guess when you're starting season two of Dharma and Greg, you think like, okay, well, what else can these characters do? But eventually the writers of Dharma and Greg are like, oh, well, maybe they should fight. So they stop fucking and instead Greg starts like, he goes on like this journey, he grows a beard and he quits the DA's office, he starts his own practice, he's trying to figure out who he is and Dharma opens like a community garden and now she's got this like wacky trove of random people and uh she's got like a best friend who is like a, a an asian caricature stereotype who i'm sure yeah, it's just yeah, these shows they're they're a they're a bummer there's a lot of ways in which these shows are a bummer um you know and they have all the as i said before they have like a lot of like 90s sort of reality the the reality created by 90s sitcoms and its attitudes towards, uh, you know, everyone who isn't white men. Uh, <clears throat> the, so the, those are, so those, so that's, that's the 90s for Chuck Lorre, is it creates these three shows that for better or worse are like interesting, complex shows that have complex characters, that have people of different ages, that star women in like in in three dimensional human roles, that star you know real families going through real you know stuff. That you know it's not necessarily like oh they have an episode where one of the kids tries drugs, but like you know they have they have moral discussions and they have adult you know um, what's interesting to me as a, a very extreme person and, and, and a child of divorce is like the different attitudes towards divorce, the different attitudes towards raising all, almost all of the Chuck Lorre shows involve kids being raised after a divorce. Um, and like, obviously like Grace's husband, ex-husband is an abusive alcoholic who she has had to like completely shut out of her life and like cut off from the kids, I believe. And Sybil you know, can't, Sybil is, like, almost living with her, her ex-husbands, and they're, like, very close friends with her. At one point, one of them moves in with her. She, she gets back together and dates one of them for a while. And that's kind of amazing, is, like, they, and they talk about this on the show, the idea of, like, hating someone so much, like, going through years and years and years, going through, like, a messy court battle, and, like, you just want to, you, you know, you just want to destroy the other person and take everything that they have, and they're this symbol of everything that's gone wrong with your life. You know, your life, you stamp their face on, on the failure that is, your existence and your ping pong and this kid back and forth, et cetera, et cetera. And years and years and years go by. And eventually you're just these two like 
idiots you know eventually you're both like oh my god the thing that we made with our fucking genitals is fucking um like it's it's smoking pot in my house and it's and i don't know what to do and it's got it's got people are coming over and 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 it's fucking people and what are we gonna you know and 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 the other person this person who tried to destroy you is like i know i know they won't stop lying to me and, and they're smarter than me and i um the the you know life life being long life life being um bigger than your petty squabbles is very interesting um and i say all of this not just to show what a smart and deep guy i am not just to show what a downright catch alejandro Colini is but because two and a half men like truly just nosed like it obliterates like the shaking of the etch-a-sketch it destroys all of the theoretical architecture of like interesting shows that star like um you know uh families and and women and 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 are about empathetic and human you know two and a half men is truly a show about one very powerful television writer splitting his consciousness and writing the like it is the other thing about the about the 90s and again he never achieves great 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 huge 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 success in the 90s all of his shows are canceled within 5 seasons also who knows what his creative input is on these shows you know he writes his goddamn little cards he writes his stupid little cards did i do you guys know about the chuck lorre cards at the end of every episode of all of his tv shows he writes this like little like manic screed i'm sorry to put it that way but it truly is this like small dense bubble of this like dense little paragraph of text that like it can be about anything sometimes it's about his personal life sometimes it's about his philosophy on morality sometimes it's about pop culture stuff that he saw sometimes it's about the uh it's like an egg salad recipe like and and at the end of every single episode of all his tv shows he calls they're called vanity cards like this little thing that he does hey <clears throat> but so <laughs> Um, in the nineties, he's got his vanity cards. He's, he's, you know, he's do he's doing, he's, he's like, an, he's an auteur. This is what, this is what your auteur shit gets you. Chuck Lorre is a true auteur, <laughs> but eventually he is allowed to create this television show, two and a half men that is like kind of, I think I said this, this, the center of his identity. It's the culmination of Chuck Lorre because it really is. It is such a solipsistic program. It is such a cynical world that he creates. All the other worlds that he creates are like, yeah, they're shitty worlds. And like, maybe this has to do with it being the 90s. Like, there's a lot of like culture war stuff in um, in Two and a Half Men. There's a lot of... It, there's a lot of what feels like a white man kind of standing on the hill, like beating his chest and being like, it's still all mine. It all still belongs to me. Um... It's, it's the, what, let me just see if I can get you, let me just see if I can do the premise of Two and a Half Men. So Charlie Harper is a, is a jingle writer. So it's 2003. It's the year 2003. And you all know, if you and I know one thing about 2003, it's that old fashioned jingles were huge at the time. 
every product that you ever met, every, every new product had, you, you remember the iPod jingle? Get your iPods, get them here, put all the music in, and then listen to them on the go. Um, you know, the, so he sits at a piano. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> he sits at a piano. Charlie Sheen looking already... I don't want to be mean to him. I don't, I can't, I don't want to be mean to him because I know that he's, well, I mean, I do want to be, I, he, there's a lot of ways, Charlie Sheen, it's, what a, what a complex figure who, who I think, God, I want to, I think I, I gotta look into it. I, 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 sh- I should have known this already, but I think that he's definitely been like convicted of domestic abuse in some form. Um, so I'm definitely not like, oh, this poor, this poor guy with, who suffers from addictions and stuff. But like, Charlie Sheen clearly is suffers from lots of stuff. And uh, in 2011, he uh, was very publicly fired from Two and a Half Men during what I would call a lengthy manic episode. Um, he, you know, uh, you may remember started saying crazy things and this is when he did the like hashtag winning thing. And then he, uh, God, I wish I, I should have looked up what he said. What does he say about Chuck Lorre? Charlie Sheen. How do I look this up? How would I look this up? Charlie Sheen, Chuck Lorre, quote, Charlie Sheen assails Two and a Half Men creator Chuck Lorre with insults and curses. Following his verbal... Oh my god! I I knew it! I knew it! Ah! (laughs) I knew there was going to be some Jew shit in there. I knew. I was like... Whenever whenever you hear that someone went on a drunken tire... So he he goes... I call him by his real name. Chaim Levine. (laughs) What a fucking guy. Oh, my God. So Charlie Sheen has a severe manic episode in 2011, and he starts going around calling Chuck Lorre, I am Levine, which is not as funny as, as I'm making it. I'm sorry. I'm laughing so hard. But he is unceremoniously fired, and his character killed on Two and a Half Men, and he's replaced with Ashton Kutcher. But we're not even there yet, because because... So Charlie Harper, the character who he plays for eight seasons as he sort of increasingly just like pickles himself and becomes sort of increasingly emote, like he looks, God, this is, oh man, am I, can I say this? Can I, he, he, he looks like an action figure. Like he, uh, this, that's what I'll say. Yeah. He, he looks like he doesn't have certain joints and sometimes like he sits on the couch, he like his arms, he looks like he doesn't quite have elbows or knees. Um, and he's always got a drink in his hand. God, I love I love watching this show. It's so much fun to watch characters drink as much as they do on this show. Everyone is constantly pouring drinks and downing their brandy or their whiskey or whatever. Ugh. Drinking beers at night and soda in the daytime. It's whether it's a can of Sprite in his hand or a or a, or a Heineken or a, 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 a an old granddad whiskey. <sighs> Sorry, I digress. So Charlie Harper, jingle writer, alcoholic. He's like a severe alcoholic. He does. He's a he's a hedonist. He loves doing drugs and al- you know drinking the alcohol and eating all unhealthy food. And his his life just floats on by because he's got all this jingle money. As I said, it's the era, it's the big era of jingles. And he Charlie Sheen sits at a piano looking positively waxen. 
and a man off stage plays the piano and he pretends to be playing the piano and in this dead toneless voice the voice of a true musician he sings these bad jingles that have been like made up and this is how he makes his money is he's for like five minutes a day he sits down at the piano and he's he's like henderson's pipe cleaners get all the clogs out of your pipes so he that's his life and he is a he's like a womanizer which is you know as as our culture has evolved uh god there's still so many like movies there's still so many characters that embody this archetype i'm I'm reminded of fucking chris pratt in guardians of the galaxy oh you're you love guardians of the galaxy it's such a fun movie yeah it begins with a woman waking up in chris pratt's spaceship and he forgot she was there and doesn't know her name how are these things punchlines? And I want to, you know, again, I don't want to fall into the toxic podcast trap. Like, it, it, it's it's like, what, how do I talk about the way this show treats women? Like, how, what, he, you know, Charlie, Charlie Harper is, and, 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 it's, and it's questionable, I think I said this about Joker, is like, your author needs to know that what your character is doing is wrong. Like, everyone on the show is kind of like, oh, Charlie constantly sleeping with much younger women and uh, slipping away every time one of them develops an emotional attachment to you and lying and cheating and uh, you know having really no moral qualms with any of the behavior that you do as long as it gets you laid and insulting women and treating you know being being disrespectful to them and being like just gross and crass and obviously this fucking show has like all these like the like normalized fucking transgressions of consent that somehow are still like pervading through culture. Like at one point Ashton Kutcher begins giving, begins uh, uh, eating a woman out while she's asleep, which is, uh, and and she wakes up and is delighted by this. And these, these are, these are, uh, you know, it's like, it's, it's not like you just you put it's like what I was saying before the drilling started is like this is the reality that you feed to people. So if you're creating these these if you're creating these like neurological connections in people's heads, I don't know. I'm not saying that the Joker turned everyone into incels, but I'm saying that like I don't know. You know, it's it's rape culture, you know. Um and and certainly things like that pervade the entire series and just this culture of like, I am going to deceive a woman so that I can have sex with her. I'm going to, I'm going to like, whatever, not whatever, but like Charlie. So Charlie's life is, you know, fucking lots and lots of women doing lots and lots of drugs and drinking. He loves his life. Then one day his brother appears on his doorstep, Alan Alan has been, and this is already, this is the, this is the beginning premise of the show. This is like, this is before anything else has happened. This is what the show is trying to convince you of it, or, or like is, is accept, expecting you to, to just like sit with. So Alan has a wife and a son, a 10 year old son, and his wife is divorcing him and she has kicked him out of the house and he has nowhere to go and somehow, <sighs> Is it that he's, is it just that he's cheap? Is that, did I miss that at the beginning? Because again, I put this show into myself at a, at a, at a dangerous speed. (laughs) 
like uh, like in Endgame when Thor like opens up that thing and the he applies that star to him his body he just like a star energy shoots at him that is what i did to myself with two and a half men so maybe i'm forgetting this but at the beginning it appears to me that alan is in such financial straits a combination of his alimony payments his child support payments and his cost of living and etc etc make it so that he cannot afford to live in his own place his mother is wealthy charlie is wealthy but rather than asking or, or receiving help from either of them he instead shows up at charlie's doorstep and he's like hey can i stay here for a while and while i'm staying here my son is going to come over on the weekends so charlie Harper, one man. Alan Harper, two men. Jake Harper, the son, half man. Two, there's your two men, there's your half a man. Now, the initial conflict of the show is that Charlie is not the sort of guy who should be around kids. And his home is not an appropriate environment for a youngster. You know, there's half-naked women running around and doing gross stuff in the house. And there's body shots being had on the porch. And there's uh, casual nudity in the hot tub. And, you know, all night the sound... The walls reverberate with the sound of Charlie and his lover's orgasms late, late into the night, you know. Um... And Judith, who is Alan's ex-wife, is like, I don't like it over there. Charlie's not a good, but like, you, but, but, but what is this situation? Like, I, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand why Alan can't get his own place. I don't, like, I understand, I don't know, because essentially this show is, God, and I've been thinking about this too, is like, this show is about like homelessness. It's about houselessness. It's about healthcare. It's about, it's about people being you know, in extreme financial situations because Alan, Alan Harper and the show, obviously, eventually the show sort of loses its empathy for him and treats him like a fucking doormat, like the doormat that the world treats him like. But like he lives in a guest room for like 11 years. And from week to week, he is constantly in danger of having to move out. Oh, my new girlfriend wants you to move out. Oh, I've got, I don't have room for you anymore. Oh, now your new girlfriend is a strain on me. Oh, it's, 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 it's always to, to an extent that is frustrating as a viewer of the show. So, so, so many episodes are about Alan trying to secure his place in the home. <clears throat> but as the show goes on, you know, there's like a couple of seasons of sort of Charlie and Alan and like Alan's life is bad, right? So like Alan's, Al, Alan's life is bad and he's trying to like care for Jake and Jake, who is this like doofy little kid who grows up over the entire course of the show and it's a disaster and you watch and you watch Charlie Harper, the evil Charlie Harper just poison and destroy this kid's... <clears throat> this kid's future because this the world that is created by two and a half men is so sad and so cynical and you know i'm there are 12 seasons of two and a half men i am a little ways into the 12th season within the next couple of days i will finish it i'm gonna tell you right now i don't have a lot of confidence that it's gonna wrap up optimistically somehow the things that have happened to these characters are unspeakable the things that like 
They lived in a guest room. And, and Jake, Jake has no respect for his father, and he has no respect for himself, and he's he was, you know... The, 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 the other thing is, like, it's only funny. The first few seasons where it's like, Charlie's like, you know, initially the conflict of the show is like, Alan will, like, come home from work. He's a chiropractor. And he comes home from work, and Charlie's, like, betting on the ponies, and he's, like, teaching Jake how to, like, cover the spread and stuff, or whatever, you know. He's teaching Jake about gambling, and, and he's teaching Jake about, like, women, but, like, not uh, not respectfully. He's teaching Jake about broads, you know? Um, and Alan's like, come on now, guys, I'm trying to raise a good son here. You know, Judas thinks that you're a bad influence on now on old Jake. Uh, <clears throat> and... That only works if Jake is, like, a remarkable kid. After a few years, Jake, who I've watched this whole show, or, or most of it, Jake left the show in the last season. He joined the military. But, like, I couldn't really tell you much about this kid's personality. Like, I guess he likes hot ladies. <laughs> yeah, Jake, big fan of hot ladies. And in his later years, he's like a useless stoner. He becomes just a worthless, sitting around the house, eating fucking Cheetos all day. He Ashton Kutcher and Patton Oswalt get him a job, get him and his, him and his ruinous little friend named Eldritch. They get them both jobs and they fuck everything up. He, he God, this makes me, this makes me hate pot even more, more than I already do. <laughs> but, um... But for the first few seasons, like, the, 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 what I mean is the sort of, like, bad boy alcoholic who is going to be a bad influence archetype only works if he's not a bad influence. And instead, the sort of dual sinkholes, the Scylla and Charybdis that are Jake or that are Charlie and Alan Harper completely just flush this kid's potential down the toilet. He doesn't have any friends. He doesn't do anything but sit around the house and watch his uncle get drunk and like there's so much intense stuff in this show god i almost wish i'd watched the show while i was still drinking because like this show has more realistic and better portrayals of alcoholism than like any prestige television i've watched any serious drama i've watched the this sort of the sort of nervous humor of like existing with an alcoholic and this the like the the scenes where he in the middle of the night will like break into Alan's room thinking it's his own and cause a scene and Alan has to get up and put him back to bed and everyone in the house wakes up and it's everyone's problem and et cetera, et cetera. And it just like ruins everyone's night. Everything's all fucked up. And in the morning he wakes up and he's like all chipper and happy, he makes everyone pancakes. Hey everyone, what's up? He doesn't even remember that anything happened but he's got the power he's got the money he's the rich guy he is paying um uh uh uh, uh, uh berta who is the housekeeper played by conchata farrell who is an incredible actor who is one of my honestly like one of my favorite actors of all time i think um she's also the aunt in krampus and stuff i could I, I couldn't believe when i discovered that she was a regular on this show but like the environment of a beautiful Malibu beach house inhabited by an alcoholic ghoul, a sex-addicted, gambling-addicted, alcoholic ghoul who cannot stop hurting people, basically, but also there is no incentive for him to stop hurting people because it doesn't negatively affect his finances. He never loses his ability to meet and charm women. And this character, it's important to state... This is Chuck Lorre. 
This Charlie Harper character, he has, he created, and, and that kind of like, that is what starts to galaxy brain me the fuck out, is he writes himself into this miserably cynical universe in which he has succeeded unjustly. Like, you can feel this character being written with a sense that the world is 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 wrong that alan harper the guy who works really hard who pays all his child support payments who wants a better life for his kid this guy lives in a fucking guest room and every week charlie's new girlfriend kicks him out or whatever meanwhile charlie who 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 is so lonely and who has who goes through these loops of wondering if he wants more out of life and wondering if he wants to change because Charlie knows he's not a good person. He knows that he's been dealt an unjustly lucrative hand, but it's just so easy to be me. You know, it's just it, it it's just so easy to be like a predator or whatever you want to say. <sighs> <clears throat> It's insane. The first couple seasons really do feel like a guy who, who, like, you know when you're, like, 16, and I still do this, honestly, in my work, where, like, you split all the parts of your personality that you don't like into, like, different characters, and you make a play where, like, it's, like, me arguing with myself, and the characters are saying things like, come on, man, you can't lie to everyone and just be mistrustful all the time, and then the other character's like, absolutely, if you never tell the truth, you could never get hurt, like, you know, people don't really, aren't quite so forthright about their interiority, in, you know, Two and a Half Men, it really is the universe kind of arguing with this, the or, or, or rather not arguing with this guy. A guy sort of screaming into the abyss of not being resisted by the world. It, the, a world that gives him everything that he wants, that he knows that he is, he is behaving uh, wrongly in. But nevertheless, I'm sorry, I'm sure, I'm sure I'm repeating myself. You've got the point. But like, it's just incredible that he puts this character into this environment where obviously we're also we have to watch the brother Alan suffer and suffer and suffer and suffer and go through health problems and his son is just poisoned by this rich alcoholic who who turns him into a failure and is in his and his wife remarries and then he marries another he marries like a hot 22 year old girl who is who is not portrayed as as intelligent um, <laughs> who takes all of his money again a second time somehow. And, you know, the, 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 the women on this show are, they fall into categories. There's this, this show is very much written from that sort of perspective where it's the implied viewer is a white man. The implied viewer is a straight white man. And he is expected to feel certain things about his world and about women and about sexuality. Um, and, there are women who appear on the show who are like just sex objects. And then there are women who appear on the show. It's actually, it's what's so frustrating about it is that the first episode of Sybil is called, God, what's it called? Like Virgin Mother Crone. And it's about Sybil um, coming to terms with the inevitable societal shift in how she is perceived and how women are forced into these categories as they go through life. Meanwhile, cut to two and a half men and the women are like truly demarcated into these categories, assigned sort of roles or values based on often their age or their, their, their character type. Um, but you know, there's season, season after season of like 
wonderful, incredible comedic actresses hired on the show for individual appearances where they play like the crazy girl or like Jake's kinky teacher or um, or or the 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 young teenager who Charlie has to resist. And I you know I'm I'm hope I'm hoping that just sort of from my language you can. Feel how these episodes are framed and where the sort of focus is put and where the where the sympathies of each episode lies you know like the, the, the these these the, the the idea that we have an episode where it's like oh uh oh such and such is like a 16 year old girl staying at the house and she's so hot can charlie resist the urge to fuck her like that's fuck fuck you hey show fuck you but again fuck me as well um you know the the we, we um so so the show cycles through these this sort of repetitive d- disrespectful and 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 Alan kind of sitting on the sideline being like oh my god how are you getting all these women to sleep with you meanwhile like the all the women that Alan dates fall into a very specific category where they like take advantage of him and treat him badly and tell him that he has a small dick which apparently it's canon that he has a small dick this show is disgusting um i know everyone's dick size i know what they like in bed they're all characters constantly like telling each other like you're gonna need to breathe through your nose baby or like hey uh i like it from i like it in the rear i I didn't realize on a network tv show that you could do you know i remember the 90s where characters used to like fuck and then it was kind of like funny how chaste and, and prudish they'd be like oh i um we didn't uh, think that you'd give me such a sweet Christmas gift, uh, Monica. You know, oh Chandler, I love uh, I love to exchange packages with you. But like, two and a half men is like, hey baby, like want to drown in my cum tonight? Oh, don't! I, I'm gonna, you know, like I'm so, I'm so sorry I said that. I'm so sorry I just said that. <laughs> oh gah gah. So. I mean, the the show, the the fact that the universe is so, and it's and and that you, the audience, and, and I hear this in the laugh track, are expected to go ha ha. That is the toxicity of this show. Is it's not it's it's it, you know it's not just that it is like a brutally sexist show. It's not just that it creates this like ghoulish reality and feeds it into your head. It's that it tells you, ha ha ha, this is funny. Ha ha, this is the way things are and it's not horrifying. It's, 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 suffering is something that it's okay to, to laugh at in this way. And, 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 you know, there's there's a character who who stalks Charlie. Who's uh, she had a one night stand with Charlie. She's one of like the supporting leads on the show, and now she hangs out outside his beach house. And she's constantly keeping tabs on him. It's like this bit where any anytime someone like wants to talk to her, they go Rose, and it turns out she was like right around the corner. She was just like right there, and Rose actually ends up murdering Charlie. But like her presence on the show, like you know, stalking. I, obviously uh gender and power are very significant but like the idea of having like a funny stalker character is already like ha like ha ha this is the way the world is ha ha alan's sort of the you know it's it's got that sitcom lying disease like right now it's season 12 oh my god and this is like this is that stuff that's just like it gets it's it starts to be like not even it's 
it's not even like amazing. It's just like, ugh. But like they chuck and Larry, like Ashton Kutcher and and John Cryer get married so that they can adopt a child. And so right now they're in the process of like deceiving social workers and deceiving prospective mothers. And in the meanwhile, because the show is disgusting, it turns out that John Cryer is like really horny for pregnant women. He's got like a pregnant fetish that has appeared multiple times in the show. And whenever a woman is pregnant, he creeps up on her and he wants to like put his head on her belly and like smell the smell of, of pregnancy. And, 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 and it's, you know, I know that I'm afraid of sex. I know that I hate being touched and that no one will ever, there's going to be no more sex in my life. <laughs> you know, when I take a shower, I put on more clothes. Um, but, but Jesus Christ, these, I, I swear, I'm not, I'm not just being old prudish Kalini. The, the two and a half men is disgusting. Um, the, but like the show's sort of, God, the 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 on again off again relationship that Alan has with a woman in in seasons seven through twelve, and the woman eventually becomes an alcoholic and is and 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 there's all this complicated. God, it's it's so complicated. What a complicated show. I mean, like, what do we even like? Now that I've sort of given you the basics of these characters, like. God, they're all they're all hurtling through space. So they're all hurtling through space together in this one house where you know how in, in sitcoms there's like one or two main locations and then like you know, in every episode, like, oh, they go to the docks or they go to a camera store or they go to the the pet shop. But for the most part, it's like Frasier's apartment nervosa. Frasier's apartment nervosa, the radio station. Two and a half men, because Charlie has no job and because Alan's job is like he's a chiropractor, but then eventually he stops being a chiropractor and he just doesn't work. And eventually he just like has no finances and they call him the sponge. And he he he, he goes to dinner with Charlie and Charlie Charlie just like feeds him and and and, and makes fun of him for being a sponge. And he he theatrically forgets his wallet everywhere and he can't have like a real dating life because he can't command any respect in his relationships and he can't command any respect from his son who starts growing up into puberty and his male role models are, are, are Alan Charlie. And so he internalizes, uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why I said his male role models. Like, I just mean that like he's raised by these shits, these two men <laughs> and that, uh, 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 um, but so Alan, after, you know, he kind of shuts down his chiropractic practice and just, I don't even know, he just becomes like a hanger on of the show. Charlie cycles through a few seasons of like dating a new woman every episode and then kind of decides that he wants to like settle down and that he wants his life to be like a normal, he wants to sort of grow up and be mature. And there's a bunch of storylines about him sort of having longer term relationships with women who it never works out because he's too immature or because his alcoholism is uh, unstoppable. Um, but Charlie always finds himself alone. Um, and the, the significance of that Chuck Lorre character just being like such a bad person and ending up alone. And then the, the, the fact that your Chuck Lorre avatar, I know that, I know that I call people avatars all the time. 
as your series is going on, your series is experiencing success, experiencing success. It's got all these, you know, it's taking like a little dip in the ratings, but you're on season eight of your show. It's in, it's in super syndication. It's going to be, you know, go down as one of the longer running sitcoms, maybe. Um, and then your, your star who you, like you've created this world where your star is playing a character who resembles them in a lot of ways. And Charlie Sheen, production keeps having to be shut down so that Charlie Sheen can go to rehab and he's got, he's got these legal troubles. He's, he's, he's a, I don't, I don't want to say, you know, he had to be like removed from his hotel room at one point by police. Um, and he, so he is, going to try to get well from theoretical drug abuse and then he's going back to this show where he's you know drinking I don't even know if it's fake whiskey all day but um he's he's constantly playing a drunk and it's adorable um and that is that is so interesting and complicated to me and then he gets to this point and and uh, again like I'm not a psychiatrist I don't know what happened it looked to me at the time like Charlie Sheen was probably like having like a really big manic episode it, you know when i've known people who have had larger manic episodes that's kind of what it has looked like and he went around kind of destroying his career in a way that it has never recovered from and he referred to chuck Lorre as Chaim levine many times uh got himself fired they write him off the show literally they just like write him off the show i mean like which obviously they you know, they weren't going to bring him back on and soft land him but what was interesting to me as well i mean so you hire this character to play you he is too much like you and it just starts to destroy your show and then eventually he destroys himself and threatens to take your show down with him to such a great extent that you have to kill yourself. You have to go into your own show and write an episode where your character is is just murdered. He goes to France with Rose, who's the stalker character. He decides, oh my god, I'm in love with you, Rose. Let's go to France and be together. And then this all happens off camera. But at the beginning of the next season, they're all at Charlie Harper's funeral. And Rose makes it very clear that she caught him cheating on her and she pushed him in front of a train. <clears throat> so you don't even... Th this would be my writer's instinct, is to... Well, maybe I'm a bad writer. I am. I'm a bad artist. I'm a bad writer. I'm a bad artist. I'm not funny. God, I don't like myself, but I want to live forever. I, I never want to die. I want to continue accruing experiences, and um, and I want to experience uh, love. Non-touching love. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Charlie dies. They just don't have him back on, you know, obviously, and they, they do his funeral and then they have to sell his house. And, oh, there's this fucked up scene where Dharma and Greg show up and you see their marriage. And, and, and it's a Dharma and Greg who have been like filtered into the cynicism of this new two and a half men world where like in the Dharma and Greg show, yes, their relationship immediately becomes complicated and they stop fucking and they start having problems and they get separated for a while and it's a big old disaster and they should never have gotten married in the first place unless they were going to just continue on the fuck happy path that they originally trailblazed. But now they're like, 
they've been married for like 10 or 15 years and they hate each other so much and they're in the Chuck Lorre two and a half men verse and and literally like the last thing that Greg does is Mime shooting himself in the head there's all these suicide jokes in two and a half men they're constantly talking about Alan killing himself and strangling himself with his belt and stuff but um yeah so they bring back Dharma and Greg and then Ashton Kutcher so two and a half men it turned it turns out the criteria for two and a half men and here's here's your concepts for your show it's a show about god what what see that, that and and this this also interests me a lot is like the show is called two and a half men it's about two men who have to live together for some circumstance they have a child one of the men has a child and they sort of raise the child together and one of them's better at raising them one of them's less good at raising the child and so they're two men and then the child is the half a man. They're two and a half men. But what if the show was called like Charlie's Place or like um, or like uh, Last Drop of Love? Um, the in the same way that like a book cover or like the label on a wine bottle irrevocably shapes your experience of a show, you know, the the fact that the last two shows have been called Dharma and Greg and Sybil, and now the show is called Two and a Half Men. I just think that's so significant. I think that's so unpackable. Um, <clears throat> because really, this is a show about like corrosive people, like heart hurting each other and like an alcoholic sort of bring it, dragging everyone down with him while, while they drag, you know, it's, it's unclear even who drags who down. You know, Charlie could have sat in that apartment and, excuse me, mansion. He could have sat in his Malibu beach house alone and pickled himself to death while somebody off stage plays that piano for him. And he would have been fine. And we would never have seen, there wouldn't have been as many hilarious hijinks, but you know, there wouldn't have all, there also wouldn't have been as much disgusting, uh, ugh, whatever. So, um, but, but, but what I mean is two and a half men, it could mean, <laughs> it could mean anything. And truly it does because when they write Charlie Harper off the show, it turns out that two and a half men doesn't even refer to specific men. It's just, it's just about uh, two, uh, two guys and uh, half a guy. So the new man in the equation becomes Ashton Kutcher, Walden Schmidt, a billionaire who buys the Malibu beach house, but then allows Alan, the sponge, to continue living in the Malibu beach house. So now it's Walden Schmidt, Ashton Kutcher, who has just been divorced. His, his wife has left him. Again, she belongs to the category of leavers, of wives who leave you and who hate you and who are mean to you or whatever. And so his first appearance on the show is he tries to drown himself in the, in the water. He's, it's a beach. It's on the, right there on the beach. And Alan sort of saves his life, so to speak. And then he goes to, a, you know, Ashton Kutcher, he's a very hot man. I didn't realize until I was watching this show, he's, he's gorgeous. And this, this it really, really hits him at his, at his like sweet spot. So he's constantly taking his shirt off and, and sort of putting his hands in front of his junk or whatever. He's, he's allegedly, he has allegedly huge junk on the show. So Ashton has married his high school sweetheart. And now that they're divorcing, he's like getting back into the war, you know, for the first there's, a, there's actually a couple times when the show does this. Is like it sort of tries to get back into its like cycle of just being a, a cycle of women, of like each episode just being about like a new hot girl that Ashton Kutcher's with. But like 
Ashton Kutcher, man, he's an emotional guy. He wants to really be with someone. So, so suddenly, like two and a half men, you're, you're, it really happens truly seamlessly. It's like this show was about this lonely alcoholic banging around his house and the this useless teenager who increasingly is turning out to have no drive and no potential and discovers pot and just becomes this dissipated pothead and then alan whose life is just careening constantly careening out of control just always hanging by a thread and who knows where all of his money is going but increasingly like he's just like becoming this old sad weirdo and then suddenly this show is about alan and Lindsay. Lindsay is like Alan's on-again, off-again girlfriend who they sort of break up and get back together and break up and get back together. And then she starts dating this other guy and then they start cheating and then she's engaged and they're cheating and he he's dating the sister of the guy who she's going to marry and she's got alcoholism and she's and 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 Walden is going uh, into this. He's in a serious relationship with Big Sue's from Peep Show. Um, and then she doesn't want to marry him. And then, and then they Chuck and Larry for some reason, they, 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 well, 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 obviously, I mean, Jake Harper, he goes and joins the military for some reason, for another some reason. And then now that he's gone, the show needs another half man. So they bring on a lesbian woman. Amber Tamblin plays Charlie Harper's long lost daughter, who is also like a huge like Casanova with the ladies. So now every episode is like Charlie Harper's daughter, who is also like an alcoholic and a womanizer, like bringing home different women and Ashton Kutcher and John Cryer are trying to adopt a child and Jake hasn't been mentioned in weeks. That's where I am in the show right now. Um, what are some, what are some things that I need to, what are some things that I need to cover? And, 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 and what does it, why, why? Oh my God. And this, this is what creates reality. A friend of mine the other day was like, Oh my God, my mom loves two and a half men. That's so terrifying. I don't, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be condescending. I don't mean to be a coastal elite. I don't mean to be a liberal, a liberal elite or whatever. It's a, sticking my nose in the air and stuff. But like there, there are things about this show that are like dumb and bad show things. And then there are things about the show that are like full deal breakers for me. You know, there's episodes of this show that I just didn't even watch because they were so viciously transphobic. Um, there, th this show exists in a sort of time period where the conversation is, involves, uh, LGBTQ people becoming more visible, I guess, to mainstream society. And there are storylines in Two and a Half Men that are just so cruel and so not, not okay. Um, <clears throat> and, 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 and the, the show itself, it feels, you know, I, I, I say this all the time, but like, it feels like it must have such a negative cultural impact and it must build itself so toxically in people's minds. Um, and, and, and it must, eh, God, the, just the idea that, that, that just the suffering, just the, a, a world of, of suffering. And there's, uh, there's, there's one season, what is it? Season 10, where Alan, like a home alone villain is nearly murdered in almost every episode. In one episode, he gets caught in a mudslide. In one episode, he gets like a door slammed right in his face. In another episode, he has a series of heart attacks. <laughs> um, 
But I mean, you know, it's a tour de force by John Cryer. Cachata Farrell is, again, just so fucking stellar. She's like my favorite. She's the best part of the show, um, playing the no-nonsense housekeeper Berta. Um, <clears throat> Jake sucks. Angus T. Jones. Angus T. Jones, fight me, dude. What? What is your deal? I mean, he's, I, I don't know. He clearly went through some stuff and... In the same way that Jake's life is sort of ruined by two and a half men, I can imagine being a child on a sitcom with Charlie Sheen might not be the most <laughs> uh, the most sound way to grow up. Uh, but God, I mean, I I I, I truly. I just can't believe I did this to myself. I can't, I, I mean, I can, I'm, I'm filled. I have, I have, did I, did I say this and did I have to like edit? I mean, I didn't edit anything out. I just, I don't remember because there's multiple takes that I've done, but like, did I talk about how I'm galaxy braining, how I need to move from the, the regular brain down to the galaxy brain? I think I have. I think I, my brain is a galaxy. Um, what's, is there anything likable about the show? Yeah, yeah, it has human moments. It has, in, in the same way that, like, that all of these Chuck Lorre shows have human moments, there's 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 things that are kind of undeniable and irresistible sometimes in which characters kind of cling to each other. And, and, and again, it really, watching people grow old with nothing to show for it, they're not building lives, they don't have families, their families are failures, they've got they're sad, they've got nothing to build towards. This is something that I really identify with right now with the headspace that I'm in, and they just fucking 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 fuck. And that's I mean, I that must be nice. Um but like even the sort of mid 40s relationships that are like happening in the 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 um the more normal end of the relationship spectrum on the show are still interesting sort of these people, their relationship with their kids. Oh God, their relationship with their kids are so that that's the other thing that's like as a child of divorce, that was kind of hard was sort of watching a show about divorced, about a kid in a divorce from the perspective of basically like the, the adult, the adults who have their own lives. And they just see this kid, a two and a half men, Really, it should be called Two Men, because it's about Alan and Charlie, or Alan and Walden, or, yeah. And the third character, your your Jake, or your Amber Tamblin, is not not even a C-plot, like, because these shows don't have A, B, and C-plots. They're not written with that level of sophistication. These shows are the TV show equivalent of turning a cup of water upside down over a flat surface. I've said that before, um... But so there's just one big glob of stuff that happens in every episode. And increasingly, when you don't have the foil of like, oh, this is a kid, I'm raising a kid in a bad way, when it's just like, oh, Jake's coming over. Like, this show really didn't want to be about raising Jake. It really didn't want to, Like, there were a couple of episodes where Jake's like, I've, I'm sad about my girlfriend dumped me. and like, But the show is about the adults. The show is about Alan. The show is about Charlie. The show is about ugh, Walden. Walden's such a baby too. He said he's a billionaire. It's so it's such a like flippant. That's the other this show like just waving its fucking show dick in your face, just doing whatever it wants. Like the the show's like yeah, nobody works, whatever. <laughs> Everyone just hangs out in the house all day. Fuck you. <laughs> um, because like I guess I guess in season eleven, like Walden and Patton Oswalt sort of form of a, a tech company that are that is single-handedly brought down by Jake and his stoner friend Eldritch but 
there, there, there's, there's just so little, whatever, whatever. Um, it just, it just makes me wonder what I'm going to be like when I'm a failed 40 year old. I can't believe I'm a failed 30 year old. I can't believe I'm so mad. I'm so, and I, and I had like, I had double episodes. I had episodes in the backlog and now I'm thinking like, maybe I can't do that because of, because of the way that I work as a creator. Fuck. I'm so pissed off at myself as a creator. I hope that I, I hope that I can level myself out. I hope that my emotions can become leveled out and that this, 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 this treatment that I'm on, that I begins to work this treatment that I'm beginning. <laughs> oh, and I, and, uh, and I don't want to die, but I need to prepare. I got to prepare for death. Um, death could be around every corner. Jesus Christ. Um, but is there anything else I want to say about Two and a Half Men? It just makes me want to create... It just makes me want to create shows called called fucking, like, Mean mean Guy, Rich Guy. And it's like, it's about a mean guy, and it's about a rich guy. You know, like... And the and the the mean guy got kicked out of his uh, he got kicked out of his house for being mean to his roommates and the rich guy is impervious to people he feels no emotions so the two of them live together on a on a on a on a on a on an island of trash in the in the middle of the sea and most of their life they just spend fighting off these sort of like legged um, porpoise creatures you know like out in the dead out in the international waters where there's no law of beast or man these creatures have evolved into sort of configurations that we've never even seen and they want to get onto that island and they want to eat all the trash and they want to come between the mean guy and the rich guy but that's not going to happen 12 seasons okay i'm alejandro Collini. take care of yourselves um uh, uh book me on your shows oh jerk off <laughs> sorry um uh, but yeah, rate, review, and subscribe. Give me suggestions for what you want me to do. Uh, and uh, and uh, yeah, take care of yourselves, everyone. And oh, yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about this episode. I'm sorry about being who I am. I'm sorry that like you have to... Did I say this in a previous episode? I'm sorry that listening to this podcast is an implicit endorsement of me, a truly not empathetic figure you know of just a a shit a shit figure in the realm of 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 morals and goodness and i and and uh oh man oh yeah yeah all right well i got a two and a half go i got a two and a half go to the polls um but yeah 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 wait 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 there is one final thing that i have to tell you about two and a half men i fucking remembered it i finally remembered it so Let's just listen. So, the two and a half men. You get to hear me listen to YouTube ads. Okay. So, this is the two and a half men theme song. It is unlistenably stupid. So the conceit of that, the idea is that the deep voice is Charlie Sheen, the middle voice is John Cryer, and the high voice is Angus T. Jones. It's filmed like that. You see, it's like sideways Charlie Sheen, John Cryer sideways in profile, and then in between them in the center, like they're all wearing suits and they're singing, men, 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 men. Like, was the show about, is the show particularly supposed to be about masculinity in this way? Like, I guess it is. I guess these shows, the, 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 you're, you're seeing these characters who have different 
different attitudes towards masculinity. They're raising a man in this house. But, um, and, and yeah, yeah, it's all seen through the eyes of men. It's a, it's a man's world on the show. God, men, 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 men. It makes me, you know when a character on a sitcom is about to do something that you've seen them do before and it's so embarrassing that you don't want to watch it, it embarrasses you? That's how it feels to watch the Two and a Half Men theme. Not least of all because as the show progresses, Angus T. Jones starts growing up. So they do this thing where Charlie Sheen is in profile, John Cryer's in profile, Angus T. Jones is in between them, and he's this adorable little tiny boy. You know, they filmed it before episode one even aired. But then after a couple of years have passed, he's grown into this like weird puberty boy. And they reshoot not the entire theme song, but at the end of the theme song, he starts computer morphing into his present day age. Is that clear? So like, men, 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 ah, and they all look to the camera, and then Angus T. Jones, the adorable little boy, like a werewolf, CGI morphs into like 15-year-old Angus T. Jones, and they do it year by year by year, and he gets taller and taller He's as he's in between Charlie Sheen and or, 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 or Ashton Kutcher, obviously, and John Cryer. He becomes, and his hair gets all nasty and ratty, and again, I don't mean to be mean to this kid, but he fucking goes through puberty on TV. Like, he grows up, and nobody does him any favors, and, um, and yeah, uh, that's, so that's just what I wanted to tell you about the CGI theme song. Men, 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 manly, men, men, men. Um, the... God. Jesus, this is so exhausting. What a, what an amount of energy I put into this. <sighs> Another great episode. All right, great.